Hi, my name is Georgia, and I'm a grateful overeater, um, compulsive overeater, and I'm recovering. Um, I'll always be recovering. I, I just, uh, right before the meeting, I did a 10-step with my sponsor, and, uh, you know, OA taught me to work the steps like I never worked them before in AA. I have 30 years in 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 the AA fellowship, um, and I have uh, like uh, I think it's coming up in June on three years of uh, abstinence, three or four years of abstinence, and I love OA. OA did for me. God did for me what I couldn't do for myself. You know, the desire for a drink left, and and. I didn't have to work the steps as hard. But, you know, with food, my issues with food, I have to work the steps. I have to because I have to let the tiger out of the cage three times a day. And I got that from my sponsor. And I have a couple sponsors, um, you know, one from New York that I just love that I need to call. Maybe I'll call her tomorrow. She doesn't know she's my sponsor. But then I have one for like 12 years. Um, uh, she's 88 years old. Uh, I love her dearly. And I, I, I did end up working for her, too. She's one of my, my customers that I clean for. And I just love her house. She has a... She has the presence of God about her, and her house does too, and I want what she has. Um, A lot of people in this program, and over the phone, I hear the presence on this meeting, the presence of a higher power, and it's beautiful. And uh, there's some people I miss that have passed on from this meeting. Um, I used to hear them talking, and uh, I enjoyed it. But what it was like... um, well, I I had trauma in my life, and you know, uh, I uh, but I had a good childhood, if that makes sense. Um, you know, because I had three different homes by the time I was nine, three different families. I lost my family of origin. Um, my mother had postpartum depression, and she ended up in AA too. And back in the sixties. Um, they gave shock, shock treatments was one of the treatments for that, and uh, they caused damage in the 60s. It doesn't today, but it caused damage, and uh, she uh, she kind of didn't remember us as children and everything. And uh, but she was a loving mother, and and uh, she had food issues too. And, I lost her when I was young, and then we recovered her. We prayed for her to come back, my twin and I. I remember that was my first experience with God. She had taken us to church, and I, uh, yeah, yeah, I, uh, we believed in God like a child does, and we were twins, and remember when our mother was gone and we lived with our grandparents, my father's parents, the day they took my mother away, 
we moved in with them, and it, it was idyllic. Uh, they grew flowers. They had a flower shop. They had a nursery. We had freedom. We went in the woods all the time, uh, and we were looking for God. I was looking for God because if I found God, my mom would come back. That was our driving force, and we prayed for our mother to come back. And in the 60s, they started letting the children, we would get to go to visit her every once in a while once she was better. They let the children visit. They started that in the 60s, but treatment for postpartum was horrible before the 60s. And uh, and, and it's come a long way since. And I know that it's a miracle what happened. And um, some say it was magical thinking, but I know it was a miracle. We were praying. We prayed every day for our mother to return, and we were in the horse's field. And I had my back to the path that led to the greenhouse, and I still can see my sister facing the path. She, We got done praying, and then she says, there she is. And there was our mother after a long period of time. And uh, we ran up, I, I guess I was about three and a half, four, and we ran up to her, and I could tell she was different. She was... Uh, and I know in hindsight that that was the shock treatment. But we were just glad to get her back. And I did something unusual. I lived with her the rest of my life. <laughs> and and she ate. She would put her head down and just plow and just eat because her dad was an alcoholic. But I love my mom. I love my mom. And, and uh, you know, there were times I resented having to care for her because she was disabled. But... People later in life said, I wish I had that relationship with my mom, and uh, it was different. It was different, and I totally enjoyed it. She lived with my husband and myself, and uh, it had its ups and downs, and she got sober after I did, and she had periods of sobriety growing up, and but she was open and honest, and she was a rebel, and she wasn't the type that would bake me cookies, and I love her for it. <laughs> She was different, but I know she cared about us. I know she her love was there. She wasn't neglectful, and um, you know I I wouldn't trade my mom for anything in that experience. Uh, my grandmother's the one had an eating disorder. She uh, she would always want to be little and she was a tall woman both my grandmothers were tall I'm tall my mother was tall and she always equated that with being big and so did my aunt who was older than me um and we lived together my aunt had anorexia when when we were young she was older than us by nine years so we saw her go through that and she did damage her heart from it today she's real thin um uh, you know, but I always overate. That was my big thing. And the one saving grace is that I'm an exercise addict. And from the time we were little, people said we just ran in circles, my twin and I. And I am addicted to physical activity. You know, uh, if I have anxiety, I move. I go out and ride my bike. I clean the house. I clean for a living. I clean houses for a living because I love the exercise. And I was a basketball player in college, and they were just opening up uh, professional basketball for women. And uh, with Ann Myers, and Ann Myers ended up at Fold, and she ended up playing for the men. 
But I wasn't good enough anyway uh, to play for professional, I don't think. But they, but it closed. The league closed when I was old enough. And I thought about roller derby, but I love physical. I love the physical. And, and I do believe that I suffer from um, exercise bulimia where uh, I justify all exercise for three or four hours after I've cleaned four houses with the team of three. And uh, I'll keep going. And, uh, you know, then I'll justify that I can overeat. And to me, I I believe that's my compulsive overeating. I believe that I am an exercise bulimic. And I threw up once. When I was young, in front of my brother, I was projectile vomiting an ice cream cone. I felt guilty of uh, eating, and I was throwing it up in a crick. And <laughs> I must have horrified him. He's younger than me by a couple of years. but And it's degrading to admit to that, but I felt guilty about eating the ice cream cone. And uh, I didn't feel bad about being so tall as bad as my grandmother did. Um, and my aunt, you know, about being so big because I had a twin sister to grow up with and we were the same size, so I wasn't alone. And, uh, you know, uh, but uh, seeing my grandmother spoiled us with food. Then we went to live with, my mother came back into our lives and she lived with her mother and we all lived together. My grandfather lived there. He was an alcoholic. He drank a case of beer a day and a fifth of whiskey or vodka or whatever it was. But the beer truck was always at our house, right, delivering beer back in the day when they delivered it. And I lived in a mining town, so that truck did double duty in our neighborhood. And uh, so my grandmother was always a candidate for al and she could have been president. She was good. That's why I got sober so early. My first time in AA, I was 21 because of her. Well, my grandfather was in AA and my parents. Um, she said she called the beer company and said, no more delivering the, the beer to the house. So the next day, the taxi came with the beer. With the beer. And, uh, and we used to make money. He would pay us because he didn't have a leg. Um, he would pay us, and he wouldn't use a wooden leg. He just sat in a wheelchair and drank. He would pay us to go down to the basement and get the beer. But um, And then something unusual happened. Sissy and I started having drinking contests, and my grandmother and her friends were counting his drinks. And I said one time to one of my friends, I drank 16 glasses of milk today. And she just looked at me like, what? Like like I was a bug under glass and. uh you know, but that's odd behavior. I don't know where it came from. It's just my compulsive. I do believe that there's a bi- biological component to this that um, that I have a mental obsession and a physical craving for certain foods, and I do drink a lot. I have water all day long, but that's okay. That's part of my abstinence. You know, I drink a lot of water, and I'm glad. And I, I, I indulge in, in a cup of coffee, a couple cup of co- coffee a day, and a cup of decaf at night. Um, so uh, that first step, admitting that I'm a compulsive overeater, 
it still can trip me up. You know, uh, I am a compulsive exerciser, too, and, um, you know, I, I have to be vigilant about that step. That's the only step I'll ever do perfectly. And, you know, in AA, I, I know I'm a alcoholic. There's no doubt about that, but I do struggle with that first step. I have to be on top of that. I have to say, yeah, I exercise way too much, and I have a lot of muscle on me because of it. And, uh, you know, I I, I have to be vigilant about that because this disease is so tricky. It's so tricky. I have to do that first step every day. I have to wake up and look in the mirror Alcoholic, I know I'm an alcoholic. I cannot drink alcohol. Um, Cigarettes, I cannot have one cigarette. I quit smoking, too. I cannot have one. I realize that. But with food, with food, it's... I know I can't have one potato chip. I know I can't have one hot dog. Those are my... I, I don't want to mention food. But there's certain foods I cannot have one of. And they're not the same foods as everybody else. We're all different. We're all unique. Um, I know people that have the same trigger foods as I do. And what triggers one person doesn't necessarily trigger the next person. But I have these foods I cannot eat. And they're like cigarettes. They're like, and, and they're nitrates. They're nitrates and salt and fat, saturated fat. And... Um, you know, I have to be very careful around that. Uh, I, in fact, I can't eat them. And, uh, you know, it's so... Uh, and someone else, it might be... Uh, sweets don't really... I, I, I grew up in a diabetic home, so we didn't eat. We didn't have them in the house, so I, I never developed... I never turned to them for comfort. You know, I turned to stuff like like saturated fats and uh, and uh, uh, salty stuff. And uh, I remember one treat, and my grandmother spoiled us with food. We grew up in legal poverty, but I didn't know we were poor, and we had a great sense of community, and I loved my childhood. And you know what? Uh, Mother Teresa was right. The true poverty is in in uh, a lot of the, the uh, consumerism and materialism that exists in America today because, you know, our whole neighborhood, we, uh, it, it was a nice upbringing. And, and on paper, we were poor, but I, I never went hungry. One time, one time, I went without food on a vacation. This woman said, Five-minute reminder. Oh, okay. Well, uh, I went without food on this vacation. This woman agreed to buy the food and, she was developmentally disabled, and she didn't come through. And my mom and I didn't have anything to eat for a couple of days. And but I, I, I still I could have asked somebody. I could have begged. I could have asked somebody for something to eat. You know, I couldn't have been that hungry. I just remember being hungry. Um, that's the only time I went hungry. But we always had plenty. We always had plenty, and we had shelter and. So, uh, I, uh, but my grandmother spoiled us with food. Anything, whenever we wanted it, we ate snacks after school. That was okay. 
and uh, my my mentor just wrote a book on um, uh, holistic happiness, and one of the chapters was on eating and um, eating and exercise. We just covered that chapter in our book study, and it's biblically based. And uh, you know, snacks didn't come popular till the seventies. People waited to eat, and then I think with television and commercials, we all learned to eat snacks, and uh, so we got these snacks, and it escalated. We shared a bag, and the next thing you know, we each had a big giant bag. We each had a big giant. We started off sharing a small bag, and next thing you know, my grandmother was bringing two big bags of these snacks home, and we're eating them. And uh, I, I didn't suffer. My body was fine. Um, I didn't get big until I was in my 40s, and the stress hit me, and I had quit drinking, and uh, I got on some mental health medicine, but it was because I overate that I got big, and the stress hit me so much. I had a house. I had a lot of people living with me. I had a, I was financially taking on more than everybody else, and, you know, people pleasing, and just very sick, and helping everybody, and, and uh, not picking up a drink, and there's some stressful situations with three kids on drugs in our family. One died in Afghanistan and completed suicide on uh, guard duty, and, you know, it just was a very stressful time. I picked this time to have a baby, and I didn't want to have a baby, and I had a miscarriage, and I felt guilty. I'd never been pregnant before, and I ate over that, and and it was just such a stressful time in my life. I never, and I can identify with young people who were stressed when they were little kids and they got big. And I got big, and I was still running. I was 320 pounds and still running six miles a day. Can you imagine that? And uh, But I think I was trying to replace a drink with, the tranquility of food, certain foods, they act like a tranquilizer, and an amphetamine with a cigarette. And then when I got in, AA, in OA, I first came to OA, my friend got me started, and things got better. My house got cleaner, my house was trash, you know, because all I did was come home and eat and smoke after pay the bills and eat and smoke and not take care of the house. And, uh, that's all I did was work, pay the bills, and eat and smoke. As soon as I hit the house, I opened the refrigerator. My mom and I would eat and smoke. As soon as I woke up, I ate and smoked. I smoked, And then after my nephew died in the war, I chain smoked from 5 in the morning till 9 o'clock when I started to work. And, uh, and then uh, I would eat. I ate my grief away. I gained 40 or 50 pounds with that grief. And, uh, you know, that's that's what I did, and I slept. I slept, let the house go. So you can imagine that existence. I tried getting better. I tried going to counseling. I went to the VA. Uh, the counseling helped, but these steps really helped. And then I learned that I could order a small. And I was always going through drive throughs I couldn't pass up one drive through um, they're, they're not on my list today. I don't eat it at drive throughs that's one of my abstinence rules, no fast food. And I, I'm, I'm glad of that, and it saved me a lot of money, too. And uh, I make every meal sacred. I learned that from my mentor. He, he's a professor, 
that I had when I was in college. I made amends to the college and then rekindled a friendship with him. And we read his books and we study his books. Central time? Is that the time? It is the time. Oh, okay. Okay, but I just want to finish up that every meal is sacred and that 10th step I do every day. And uh, every meal is sacred. I don't eat in the car. I don't eat standing up. I make it nice, a nice plate, cook nice, and it's a sacred act, and I'll pass. Okay, I'm done. Hello? Sorry, Judge, I couldn't unmute. Did you uh, want to leave contact? Oh, yeah, 412-257-4716, and that's a landline, and uh, my cell phone is 412-720-2561, and that's Eastern Time. Well, one, I'm sorry, so give me your cell phone again. 412-720-2561. Okay. Thank you so much. 